Welcome to the Quantum Leopard podcast. Uh, Quantum Leopard is a multi-award winning, pay what you like, no punching down, no picking on the audience, gender balance booking, Central London Saturday night of lovely comedy, and this is its podcast. Every episode will have a recording of a real live set from one of our nights and an interview with the comedy brain behind it. Uh, we have uh, videos of full shows up on patreon.com forward slash Quantum Leopard, and that's going to have loads of sets that aren't in the podcast as well. Uh, we only charge when new live show videos come out. I'm your host and MC, James Ross, and this is Quantum Leopard. This episode, we have the wonderful Rachel Krieger. Um, this set was recorded on the 19th of February 2022 by Anna Rudd Oja at 21 Soho. Uh, and the interview took place on the 25th of June 2023. Uh, continuing our series of tip top opening acts, I thought this was an especially interesting chat. Um, I, I, I really learned a lot. Um, contact warnings on this set for experience of racism, experience of sexism, and COVID and childbirth. Enjoy! to be with people I'm not related to. It's the best. Hello! I'm Rachel. Nice to meet you. Probably won't get all your names. Um, I like to start by explaining this is an Essex accent. I say that at the beginning because otherwise I come on stage and you all think, oh, she looks like Axel Rose's slightly cooler younger sister. And then I start speaking and you're like, pound shop John Bon Jovi. So... <laughs> Good to get out of the way. And also at the beginning, I like to clarify for everybody that this isn't a pirate thing. It's a Jew thing, right? I'm not a hoy. I'm oy vey. <laughs> Very different. But I'm one of the blonde ones who's allowed to pass amongst you. <laughs> That's nice. In the country I was born in, so... <laughs> Thanks for that, everyone. It's really great. Actually, I love gigs like this because you do feel very relaxed to just be yourself, don't you? Do you all agree? That's nice. I was once booked for a gig. I was waiting to come on stage and the compere said to me, Rachel, how would you like me to introduce you? And I said, oh, whatever you've planned is fine. Don't worry about it. He goes, no, how would you like to be introduced? How shall I bring you on stage? I said, well, I don't know. You could say award-winning comedian. <laughs> Not for this stuff, but I am. Um, <laughs> and he was like, no, no, I mean, you yourself. Like, should I introduce you as... Miss Krieger, Ms. Krieger, or Mrs. Krieger. I was a little bit taken aback, I'll be honest, because I thought the gig was in Pinner, but it transpired it was in Gilead in The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> so I said to him, you know, my husband's very religious. He has never, ever asked me to come on stage as of Mark, ever. Just thinking. I said to him, just my name's fine. Just say, like, Rachel Krieger. He went, oh, that's very modern. <laughs> I didn't think that was modern. Like, I thought we'd been allowed to be called by our names like pretty much from the beginning of, I mean, maybe 20% later than the boys, but pretty much from the start. But yeah, it's lovely to be here. Uh, I like to clarify who I am at the beginning. I think it's important because I often feel I have to sort of come out as a Jew because people don't guess. And I understand it. It's because of this, right? It's because Judaism began nearly 4,000 years ago in the Middle East. And no one looked like Sharon off EastEnders then. <laughs> like the only biblical characters we're used to seeing who are this pale and interesting are in Hollywood blockbusters where they haven't wanted Moses to come over too terroristy. <laughs> like my grandma used to say the reason why everyone in our family is so fair is because one of our ancestors had a fling with a Cossack. Now I'm going to put it to you, people of Quantum Leopard, that to get to this almost homeopathic level of dilution, <laughs> it probably took quite a few Cossacks. <laughs> Presumably quite a few great-grandmas, maybe one very naughty great-grandma, we'll never know. <laughs> But 
as a result, I haven't had to deal with that much overt anti-Semitism. Like, generally, people wait to get to know me, then they decide if they hate me or not. <laughs> and at the end, James will be standing with a clipboard. He won't. <laughs> that would be quite scary, wouldn't it? That would be quite frightening. But um, I do feel like a lot of pressure when I come out into the general public to represent, because I am a full-on Jew, like hair-covering, kosher-eating, Sabbath-observant Jew. And I actually... Literally uh, 24 months ago tomorrow, for reasons we're all probably quite aware of, um, I was standing handing out flyers for what was meant to be the warm-up show of my 2020 UK tour. <laughs> but it turned out to be the only show of my 2020 UK tour. But I was very warm, so that was lovely. And uh, a guy come up to me and he took one of my flyers and went, oh, this is amazing. He said, this is so brilliant. I am a massive, massive fan of Jewish comedy. I absolutely love Jewish comedy. Comedians. I'm a huge, huge fan of Michael McIntyre. <laughs> like, no disrespect to Michael. We'd have him. We would. Like, quick operation. One of us. No problem. But uh, I had to say to this guy, you know, like, your favourite Jewish comedian. I'm really sorry, not actually Jewish. And of course, what he did then was not accept that <laughs> and argue with me. And he was like, right, but look at his lovely dark hair and eyes. I said, oh, hello. <laughs> he said, but he lives in North London. I said, they don't make us. <laughs> It's not a ghetto. He said, right, but he supports Spurs. I said, you don't have to. It's not like a Bermitzvah thing that then you get your season. That's for some people it is, actually. A thing, but not for me personally. But anyway, he then stormed off thinking I was massively anti-Semitic. So that was a big win for both of us, I think. But yeah, weird times, I'd say, before the pandemic. We could all be quite forgiving of that. It was, it was an odd experience, wasn't it, the last, the last few years? Do we want to talk about it? No. <laughs> We're going to a tiny bit. Just a little bit, because like, I am a proud Jewish mother, because that's the only kind there is. <laughs> and the pandemic put a lot of pressure on us, particularly around our, uh, the way we were bringing up our children. Like, just to explain, have you heard that trope about Jewish mums being quite pushy and educating their children? That's a catch-22 thing for Quantum Leopards, because like, you don't know if you say yes, because I've asked you, if you say no, because then I might be racist. No, you're fine. <laughs> I've mentioned it, you're all right. So, uh, no, it is, it is a thing, sort of. Like, my cousin Deborah, I'll give you an example, right? My cousin Deborah, she got two boys like me. One of them trains the doctor. That went very quiet there, which I'm gonna, I'm gonna accept that as you were very impressed by my cousin's <laughs> child rearing. Yeah, one trains a doctor, one trained as a lawyer, didn't enjoy it, retrains an accountant, which is the top three jobs for Jewish boys and only two children, and that is very impressive. <laughs> And I once said to her, you know, like, Deborah, in a way, I can beat you. Not that I'm competitive, I am. I'm the most competitive person here. Put your hands up if you're more competitive than me, you're not. So, um, yeah, so I said, in a way, I can beat you because my last boyfriend, before my lovely husband, Mark, which is hence my name, uh, he was, when I met him, a soldier. And then before that, he'd been a firefighter. And in his spare time, he was a forest ranger, which is three uniforms on one very hot boy. <laughs> and quite a lot like dating the village people. <laughs> you can laugh while I drink. I've spilled it everywhere, haven't I? I'm so clumsy. There you go. Yeah, but it's a lot of pressure with our children. I found lockdown very hard because I was parenting, amongst others, a teenager. Oh, I'm so, I feel so grateful for that all. Thank you very much. You're very lovely. I already knew it, but now I'm sure of it. Did anyone else here have to homeschool? You're all too young. 
Oh, who said yes? Oh, you don't have to talk to me if you don't want to, but will you shout? Oh, so you're, oh, well, I knew you were. But you're, you're parenting a young child. That's a different challenge, I think, than an adolescent. Yeah, definitely. Like, I kept getting, that first lockdown, I kept getting emails from my kids' school going, uh, I'm afraid, Mrs. Krieger, your son hasn't handed in his online homework. I'm afraid, Mrs. Krieger, your son hasn't turned up for his online lesson. And I was like, what do you want me to do? Give him a detention. He hasn't left his room for six months. <laughs> and I wasn't really keen on investigating why. <laughs> But in the end, I thought, I have to do the responsible thing. I have to sit down with him, have a little chat about it. And I said to him, listen, I said, when you have grandchildren of your own, this whole thing we've just been through, that's going to be on their history curriculum, right? When they do their GCSEs. And they're going to come to you. They're going to say, Granddad, grand I don't know why they're suddenly speaking like Fiddle on the Roof. Granddad, Granddad, L'chaim. Um, Granddad, Granddad, what was it like in the pandemic? And what are you going to say to them? I don't know, but every time I killed eight characters on Fortnite Battle Royale, my mum come up with a plate of two pieces of toast, six fish fingers, and 12 slices of cucumber. And I thought, well, at least maths is fine, isn't it? <laughs> he didn't find that funny because he's not a fan of dad jokes, right? I actually said to him at the beginning of the pandemic, I'm very depressed about all the gigs being cancelled. How about every time I come in the room, you and your brother and your dad like all just burst into rounds of applause? <laughs> just like... Do you know what I mean? You empathise, James. <laughs> and he said to me, do something funny or clap. Oh. Sassy. Right, so I said this to him about the maths. He did not find it funny. And he said, uh, right, I'm going to go around to my friend Asher's house now because I do not want to be around you. I'm going to walk there and talk to him in his garden. I said, how are you going to get there? I'm not driving you. And he said, I'll use Google Maps. I thought, brilliant, geography. Tick. And then before I come out, actually, I told him that bit about the Cossacks, which is history covered. So he went back to school. Absolutely fine. But yeah, it was, it was a lot of pressure, that bit of lockdown. I feel like I've been quite negative about my kids, just in that one sentence. And I'm not really negative because I'm actually very lucky to have children at all. <laughs> Don't stress, it's not a fertility story. <laughs> We're not going that. It's because I went through the faith education system, which has one job to sort of turn you into parents, doesn't it? Parents and spouses. But it tries to do that without giving you any of the tools required to facilitate the process. <laughs> like just from a health and safety point of view just give me a cheer if you went to a faith school you sound very enthusiastic <laughs> I don't offer encounter that if you're comfortable with it like just yell out the genre because <laughs> there are different ones <laughs> yeah Catholic Church of England right okay uh, I'm just going to warn you now that this next bit will probably be quite traumatic for you, uh, especially for if you went to Catholic school. Catholic or Jewish school is the same. And Madrasa, same. Uh, a helpline number's going to scroll across. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> Maybe I'll buy you a drink. I don't know. Very stressful. But yeah, I went, I went to Orthodox Jewish schools. And you know that bit like at the end of year six where they have to teach you about what's going to happen when you grow up, in their opinions? And uh, so they separate out the boys and the girls, don't they? Like the girls go off with a form teacher. The boys go off with a PE teacher, I don't know why that is, but I assume that's why in later life they always want to race to the finish line, those boys. <laughs> Hashtag not all husbands, lucky me. But yeah, uh, we stayed with our teacher and uh, this is going to age me for those of you who try to work out to how old I am. Uh, our teacher wheeled in a television on a trolley. 
Oh, that's sort of like, as if you're watching one of those programs about stuff that happened in the 80s. That was, that was very cute. Oh, yeah. Oh, dunking your tea in your biscuit. Your biscuit in your tea. Anyway, uh, yeah, wheeled in a TV and a trolley and showed us, 11-year-olds, with no explanation at all, a video of a family of four playing badminton on a beach naked. <laughs> right? Family of four... Mother, father, brother, sister. I mean, it was their son and daughter, right? Not their brother and sister. That is a very different film. You are not allowed to show that to school children. Anyway, there they were playing banter. It was very, very shocking to 11-year-old me, especially with no information provided. And uh, my main memory is of a lot of hair. And I became so terrified of an unexpected pregnancy that I stayed away from sand for a really, really long time. <laughs> When in hindsight, now as an adult, I suspect they were trying to warn us of the dangers of crabs. <laughs> it was a Jewish school as well, so uh, double, double negative on the crabs there because they're also not kosher. <laughs> which is why, no shellfishes, did you know that? No shellfish is kosher, which is why I really hate it when the media tries to use Jews as political prawns. Thank you very much, that's my favorite joke. <laughs> I literally took the day off when I wrote that. <laughs> I don't even care if no one finds it funny. Like, it was, it was good. I'm not really a pun person, but that's two in one little bit. I'm quite proud. Oh, thank you. Oh. If I'd had that kind of validation as a child, I would not need to do this now, would I? <laughs> Never. But anyway, they followed up that film, right, a week later, again with no kind of lessons about it, with another film, right, which was of a lady giving birth filmed from the front I've done this case you don't know what I mean which was gross and I've done it and I can still tell you it's gross <laughs> and uh, also weirdly ironic given that legally we were way too young to watch the film Alien which from what I understand is exactly the same storyline <laughs> but I went on to secondary school because they make us don't they and uh, I went to a school that was so religious that any kind of reference to reproduction had been removed from all our science textbooks, right? And any reference to it was blacked out with marker pen. Like in my school, SRE stood for specifically redacted education. <laughs> and I did biology A-level and we got to two weeks before study leave and we had never ever covered this essential piece of the national curriculum. And the school began to panic because I think uh, my Catholic friend, you'll agree with this, if there's one thing a faith school hates more than exposing their girls to the outside world, <laughs> it's of course poor exam results, isn't it? <laughs> there's a lot of pressure of us in those schools. Do you know what, my husband went to the same school as me. Nothing happened then, it's not weird. And uh, I said to him, what happens when you had those lessons at school? What happened with the boys? And he said, oh, he said it was very straightforward. Um, the teacher said to us, don't worry, after your wedding, your special places will connect. You'll know what to do. That was the whole lesson. <laughs> And he said, like, that's mad, honestly, like, that is ridiculous. Because even when you buy a Billy bookcase from Ikea, they give you, like, some kind of instruction manual, don't they? Like, I don't know if anyone here's done it for the first time. You need a little bit more than that. You've got to feel sorry for those religious couples who muddle through their first time together, only to find a screw left over, no sign of the Allen key. <laughs> 
But there I was, right, about to take the A-level, and the school's panicky, and naturally they don't turn to the head of science to enlighten us, but the head of religious education. Very apt response. And I'm now going to recreate for you the time that we, as almost 18-year-old adults, were taught the facts of life. Do you know what I mean? Like the birds and the bees. Do you know what I mean? How babies are made. I don't know what it's called, so, uh, yeah. (laughs) But I'm going to do it with some proper acting, because I think, you know, you deserve it. This is such a nice gig. I thought thought I'd do it with proper acting. Okay, I've come a long way for this, make the most of it. So um, just give me a second, and I'm going to become my head of RE from a school who shall remain nameless, Mrs. Simons. She's earned the name check. One second. <laughs> Girls. Girls. <laughs> Girls. The husband comes home from Bible study, (laughs) or work if he must. (laughs) The wife is wearing a special brooch, so he knows she is available. (laughs) She has made a lovely dinner, and nine months later, have a baby. Good luck in your exams. (laughs) And it was like no help to us at all, was it? Because when it came to the exam, I had to label a diagram of a testicle, and I could not find a brooch anywhere with that piece of paper. Didn't help us with family planning because she never told us what they had for dinner. And uh, I had two kids before I found out, you can take that brooch off. But just as I leave you, not like forever, hopefully, but for now, because it's the end of my bit, um, I don't always go away thinking that I don't love my children because I'm a bit like disparaging and I make jokes about them. I do, I really love them. Uh, I have that aggressive Jewish maternal love for my kids, which I think for the rest of you who aren't of my faith, um, it's known as being a tiger mum. Have you heard that expression? You know, being a tiger mum. And for some reason, the example there was given of being a tiger mum is that you have mum strength. So in an emergency, you could lift a car up off your children. I don't know why that's the example. It's quite weird. But I want to leave you knowing that in an emergency, I could lift a car up off either of my children. (laughs) I mean, they'd have to do something really bad for me to run them over in the first place, but (laughs) the car would be off in the blink of an eye. (laughs) Joe, you're gorgeous. I'm Rachel Quigger. Please keep continuing to support this brilliant, brilliant night and hope we meet again. That was Rachel Krieger. Thank you very much for a lovely set, Rachel. That was amazing. Okay, so um, thank you so much for joining us uh, as well this afternoon. So um, how are you feeling um, going into Quantum Leopard? Like, how did you you find the audience? I absolutely love gigging at Quantum Leopard because I think it's an audience who match my sense of humour so well. I've only ever had, like, nice experiences. So I I just was excited. And I was listening to the people who were on before me. And I was listening to the vibe of the room. And I was getting all buzzy and excited. And I was chatting, actually, with Jordan Gray, who was around the back, Mm -hmm. I think, on the day. Um, And we were having, like, everything about that evening was lovely, which is really not a thing I can say about all gigs. (laughs) Really, anywhere, ever. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so in terms of your uh, set itself, so um, I read out you've got a really nice establishing first minute. Like you get all the essential points of difference out of the way, nice and smoothly. Uh, got a few sort of appearance-based observations, Essex, Judaism. Um, now, I, I realised this when I was watching this back to have a look at the question. This is time to be pretty much bang on one minute, which makes me think yeah. it's something you've done on purpose to establish you know, common platform for understanding. You can jump off from that. Like, is that the case? Is that something you've you've always done, always do? I've always done that in terms of material, but mm. refining it down to a succinct kind of minute or so um, was a conscious choice over the last few years. Yeah. Because um, in a way, it's a response to being seen as super niche because mm. I'm the only Orthodox Jew on the circuit for many quite good reasons that aren't to do with racism. Mm. And I think that there's this... Um, this concept that I must be super niche and have really unrelatable material because you're not hearing a hundred people talking about the same stuff. Yeah. So I like to get out there some jokes that puts everyone at ease. Mm -hmm. They understand why I'm, what I am is I'm a Jewish person, grew up in Essex. I look like this. I'm one of you because yeah. we're all humans. Yeah. Yeah. And once I've got that out of the way, everyone can breathe a little bit and not be worried. I'm going to start quoting Talmud and Torah at everybody yeah, and, yeah, or yeah. things they're not going to understand or they won't be able to relate to because actually all I am is an observational comedian but I'm doing it through a particular lens in the same way that an Asian comic might yeah. or a black comic might or a really religious Catholic comic might you know so they're just taking their context and sharing um, the jokes which make us all uh, have common issues so yeah. my jokes are really about being a kid being a parent exactly yeah 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 having work i've done different things depends i mean in this the set that i did for you um contain like very specific things but um it's stuff that we've all experienced we just maybe haven't all experienced it in the context that i'm from and that's what makes me like i get hopefully a little bit interesting yeah i mean this thing i mean in terms of your stuff i mean it is it is all like quite relatable i mean just because you're coming at it from a different background i think you mm. know you've still got the common points of you know family experiences i mean I, I think the main point of difference between you doing that set and like my audience is that my audience does not have teenage children right but they can <laughs> they recognize that situation uh perhaps they've been teenage the children exactly they've been teenage children yeah which is exactly. uh, a horrifically uh, universal experience <laughs> um yeah i mean like, um i so you, you move on from that you, you pick Pick up on this theme uh, with sort of coming out as uh, uh, Jewish a couple of minutes in, uh, yeah. and you bring up the the punter the, who likes you know uh, famously uh, Jewish comedian Michael McIntyre. Um, <laughs> so I mean, obviously your background does influence your the, the content of your material and the, the the references that you make. But do you find it influences um, you know the style and delivery as well? Are you are you drawing from that tradition, or are you more sort of rooted in okay the UK stand up circuit uh, and and less influenced by that sort of thing? Um, I'm undeniably influenced by traditional Jewish comedy because that's what I grew up with, mm -hmm. um, as well as really loving ordinary British mainstream comedy and American comedy. Mm -hmm. So I had all those things. My dad's family was very funny, like darkly funny on the whole, but very funny. Mm -hmm. They were very into telling jokes and they did it in that kind of Yiddish style um, and delivery. When I started in Sound Up, I'd already been working in the comedy industry for quite a long time as a writer and a director and running oh, okay. a club. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'd worked around comedians. I'd done sets here and there, but you know, when I started taking it absolutely seriously, mm. um, none of my material was about anything to do with being Jewish. It, mm -hmm. In fact, it was predominantly about bees, like as in the stripy insects, because... <laughs> 
everyone's seen a bee. That's very relatable. Yeah, yeah. It is relatable. But I mainly thought, who's going to be interested in my really weird life? And bees are interesting. And people like stuff. And I'm quite whimsical. So Mm -hmm. it appealed to me. So I did like a little bit, I guess, about being a mum. And then I had, uh, I have a lot of issues with my throat, which I won't bore you with. But one day when we're old and we're sitting in the home next to each other and the Kaluki hasn't started yet, I'll tell you all my throat related problems. Um, But because I was having to take Manuka honey, it gave me like a little into talking about bees. And Uh the reason I'm telling you this is that I knew a lot of professional comedians. And while I started off, when I decided to go for it properly, I went all the way back to the beginning. I did open mics. I did all that stuff. All the... the nice gigs and the horrible gigs which was a very good learning experience Mm -hmm. but um i got to do some of the nicer ones because of the people i knew and every professional comedian or experienced mc or experienced closer on those nights said to me you're crazy like why are you talking about stuff that anyone could say when whenever you tell us an anecdote about your actual life it's so interesting and so funny Mm -hmm. and you've got a usp um it's it's really weird and then the jewish ones said to me over and over again just fyi doesn't matter what you're talking about the way you express yourself your turn of phrase your body language like everything in you is such jewish mother like there's no avoiding <laughs> it so i'm i'm thinking oh i'm being so like cute and talking about bees but i'm still yeah, yeah. veying it somehow and <laughs> Uh, soon, but actually, and this was like, I don't know, after an amount of time since I started, but as soon as I switched to bringing in stuff about my real life, my everything about my career started moving forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, mean, I think, it worked. I think you, yeah, I, mean, I think audiences are, are like really want that realism and authenticity of somebody telling you about their lives right mm-hmm. i mean because it's like you're borrowing like when you go and see a comedian it's like you're borrowing a library book and i am reading about this person's life and you want to have like this interesting variety of stuff and it's that's such a that, good analogy I, I i like to think so um and also you get to give the books back at the end of the show and then you mm. don't have to have them in your house because they mess up the furniture. <laughs> um, but, uh, also very good analogy <laughs> But so, there is um, an actual specific tradition mm-hmm. of being um, in Jewish culture, like uh-huh. a historical tradition um, of being the comedian. I mean, in every shtetl, they had a comedian. Think of Fiddle, even Fiddle on the Roof. Um, you had a role which was the Badchen, which mm-hmm. means the satirical entertainer, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had the Leitzen, which was the clown. Mm-hmm. And at any kind of wedding, I mean, it's quite a dark reason. It was because, mm-hmm. uh, initially because of weddings in Jewish uh, culture, um, at a wedding, you have a kind of commandment to make the bride and groom happy and make them laugh. Mm-hmm. Now, if you think about, let's say, the history of the Jews in Eastern Europe, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> that was yeah, quite yeah. challenging. So yeah. you'd have these people who would come in and uh, the Badchen would do kind of satirical jokes about the Tsar or the Emperor or the whoever was trying to kill everyone at the time wow. or chuck them out. Yeah, yeah. and um that was so that was the comedian's role and then the lates and the clown would come and do kind of like vigo ven without the um high-vis jackets because <laughs> they didn't exist yet yeah, um, yeah. they do literally leaping if you think of the film fiddler on the roof and the middle of the wedding they have people kind of doing clowning jumping over mm-hmm. bottles dancing uh, jumping over each other sorry dance with bottles on their hats that still goes on by the way at, at jewish mm-hmm. weddings now still do all that stuff but um that was a specific role and actually even at times where the um, the authorities didn't allow Jewish people to do certain jobs, somehow the Budchen was still an allowed role. Mm, so I'm mm. part of a very long tradition, and I still do that, by the way, at Jewish events and whatever. Not the bottle thing, and I haven't got the coordination, but <laughs> uh, the entertaining. 
Amazing. I, yeah, I mean, this is the thing when um, comedians uh, of a type that I would not like to be stuck in a lift with um, or a car share with, like, oh, blah, 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 cancel culture, all of this sort of stuff. It's like, I mean, you, you are, <laughs> when you contrast it with these sort of actual historical experiences of, hmm. yeah, okay, this is this is a, a real historical situation where being a comedian in this context was actively dangerous. It's like maybe you fuck off at the nearest motorway service station we'll just leave you here with your opinions that'd be fine um that's really, really interesting so i mean yeah. I, on, a, on a personal level i mean as i, I think i possibly mentioned to you in the past i am sort of you know i'm uh homeopathically jewish myself of a <laughs> with a eastern european origins but I, it's not a part of my family history that i know uh very little about for a variety of reasons um so it's uh it's really interesting to have these little kind of flashes as well um yeah and by the way the bees uh material made its way into my 2022 show. So all those years later, suddenly they were relevant because I was talking about um, the pandemic and how yeah. we behaved as communities. That was what the show is about. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. sound funny, but I promise you it was funny. No, no, it's and, good. I'm, um, I'm slightly concerned about the uh, the sociological implications of operating human society like a beehive. I, I feel that there are some, <laughs> some complications what? there. That might be a challenge. Women rolling out the men in the winter because we don't need them, that sort of thing, um, because that's what bees do. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's just suddenly they were really relevant looking at the way bees work in the community and all those jokes came back and I was really yeah, happy yeah. and it just shows never throw away your notebooks uh, yeah kids. yeah yeah i think that's uh i think that's a really a really strong lesson to come from that because I, I i find myself like picking up things like half ideas that i've dropped yeah. five ten years ago and i'll stumble across them and i'll be like oh actually now i'm older and hopefully better oh i can do something with this mm-hmm. or i can tie it into another bit that's another half idea that i've got lying around yeah. And it goes off in a new direction. So it's, it is really, really handy. Um, cool. Um, so uh, you mentioned um, several costumes uh, on One Hot Boy. Um, and uh, so it was like dating the village people. Um, yeah. So um, if you had to choose between uh, cop, Native American, GI, biker, construction worker and cowboy, uh, what would you pick? I would pick the one who looks most like my husband. <laughs> that, is, that is absolutely, uh, yeah, I want world peace answer. But fine. Yeah. Okay, we'll take that. <laughs> I told him that was what I was going to say. Well, um, I was reading him out your questions because I said you'd written really good questions because we know each other a bit and yeah, I've given yeah. you quite a bit. And he's and he said, oh, what were they? So I went through them and um, and I said, uh, when I get to that one, obviously I'm going to say someone who looks like you. And he goes, no, you won't. No, you won't. But I would. <laughs> because it's true. Um, we're about to have our 30th anniversary. Oh, congratulations. So thank you very much. Like, it's obviously quite a conscious choice that I like who he is. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if he had, if he happened to bring home some of those uniforms, it wouldn't be the worst. Okay, cool. All right, you, you, you heard it here first, Mr. Krieger. Happy anniversary. <laughs> also, that question is a to-do list. Right, lovely. So um, in terms of the, the sex ed uh, bit, so I really like this yes. bit. This is a really nice observational bit. It does uh, the neat trick of making a story relatable, putting it in the second person. I, I think that it would be a lot easier for observational comedians if more, more people recognise that they do if you need to make a story relatable. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, ironically, putting things in the second person is one of the key principles of sex education. Thank you, thank you. Mm-hmm. Very good. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, good. Yes, um, <laughs> anyway, um, but, like, it's a really nice structured bit. It's got lots of bridging jokes so that it keeps the kind of the gag rate up throughout it. It's got a nice silly pun about a serious issue. Okay. Um, and it, I think it's, it's really good 
choice of topic because it's personal to you. It's a little bit sexy. It's a little bit about the wider issues um, and so on and so forth. So I think it's a really nice, it's a very Rachel Krieger bit. There's also a very good bit um, and it's very, very distinctively Thanks, you. James. Um, Do you know what? I think I believe I said even in your show, if I'd had that kind of, if I'd had that kind of validation as a child, I would not need to do this now, <laughs> which I trot out that line. I can't yeah. do pretty much every gig when the moment arises. I mean, this is why your son is not interested in a career in comedy is because you, you love and support him too much. I think yes. maybe that's what it is. A hundred percent. I do. <laughs> I tell them all the time. I don't need them getting better than me at my own job, right? Yeah. I don't need the competition. Yeah. You can go off and do something else. Be a research yeah. chemist. That's fine. I've got no interest in that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, in terms of the sex ed bit, so, I mean, uh, in terms of the issues involved, I mean, do you think that restrictive sex education does a disservice to young people and potentially drives a wedge between them and their faith? Uh, it definitely can do. I mean, looking back and thinking about my peers and conversations mm-hmm. that we've had and um, the way we were brought up. And it's not that I think a faith-based lifestyle has to be problematic for anyone. Like if mm-hmm. it's a conscious choice, there's no coercion, there's no, you know, um, you're happy, you're comfortable, you're free to make, to sort of explore things if that's what you choose. Um, you know, that that's the kind of lifestyle that I was brought up in. But um, if I look around at the girls who were in my year, unsurprisingly in my faith school, it was single sex. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some who, and probably the majority who came from the kind of families who would have bought us a book at 11 and, you know, chatted yeah. to us about this stuff to an extent. Mm-hmm. The thing that was astonishing for me, and it's 100% true, is that when it came to learning it as a technical subject mm-hmm. um, in secondary school, it was non-existent um, yeah. except for what you needed to pass an exam. And that wasn't actually just for sex education. That was, I can't remember if I did it in this particular set, but I'm pretty sure I've done it quantum leopard before mm. about um, that. It was how we were taught all science was from a creationist perspective. Oh, at the time no, when that's, I was there. that's interesting. That wasn't in this set. Go no, it, um, but I think I have mentioned that before that, for example, when um, during our A-level studies, we had to learn about um Oh, what do you call it? Um, Darwin. Evolution. What's the word? Evolution. That's yeah, what it is. Yeah. It's very, very hot in this room. So if I make any, <laughs> if I'm making any sense at all, it's like literally a miracle, and you should develop a new faith. So um, yeah. Well, so if when you, we had but to... if you adapt to how hot it is, then that's a validation of evolution, and maybe you should drop but yours. We'll, we'll meet somewhere no, in the middle. I'm sure. We'll right, so actually, modern Orthodox Judaism has no yep. problem with evolution, mm-hmm, so we're mm-hmm, all good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when we had to learn evolution in our school, um, that also was not taught by our science teacher for A level. That was mm. taught by a rabbi brought over from the boys' school who more or less said, look, we all know the facts. They're in Genesis, right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to let you know what you have to know to pass the exam because they don't understand. Pretty much exactly that. And someone put their hands up and said, but what about dinosaurs? And he said, drowned in Noah's floods. Next question. <laughs> and that was, and, but, and that wasn't to be funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. Was, that was answer. it. Um, but I mean, the majority of the girls studying biology for A level were going to have access to this information elsewhere. Yeah. Um, but not everybody, and the people who didn't study biology were still young people who were going to grow up and make yeah, relationships yeah. and whatever yeah. and need to know stuff. And um, you know, it can be very challenging, certainly for the ones who come from super sheltered backgrounds and don't have TVs and don't have. Well, none of us had the internet then; it didn't mm-hmm. even exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't have access to that information elsewhere. That school is very different now, by the way. um so i believe they don't black everything out with marker pen and all that but in my day they they really did it um and 
yeah, it's it's. I think it can be very problematic, and I know it's similar for people who go to strict faith schools of mm-hmm. other denominations and religions. They have a quite similar experience, and that's why you always check in with them at the beginning of doing that set. And that's quite old material, but it never feels old because yeah. so many people really relate to it in the way mm-hmm. they were taught. Mm-hmm. And when I talk about in primary school, we're sort of given these stories but without any actual facts um there's i have an extended version of that um which includes how our year six teacher um you know the bit where you'd divide up the boys and the girls but she taught us all about her what happened the day her daughter became a woman and she told us like um this whole long story about it and not, not once has she explained what that expression meant <laughs> so oh, everything wow. she said yeah. to us um it felt like some kind of weird, mysterious, mysterious, whatever. I don't want, I'm not going to spoil it now in case I come and do it. Quantum <laughs> another time. But it was such a weird thing. But the weirdest thing about it was it was quite a, a, a local community school, my primary yeah, school. Yeah. And we all knew her. We all knew that daughter because she was oh, just wow. a, lot, a few years older than us. And to this day, I literally, I don't want to help on about funerals, but I was at another funeral. I was at a funeral a couple of weeks ago. She was there. Yeah, there was someone yeah. from the area where we grew up. And every time I see her, I think, I know what happened the day you became a woman. <laughs> Whatever that is. I mean, and that wow. will be it. So the day there's, um, yeah, in yeah. Jewish philosophy, there's this concept about um, Lashon Hara, like speaking about other people, that when you say something about somebody else, it's something you can never take back because you've put it in the head of okay. the recipient. Yeah, so yeah. You've, it's like a major thing. Like if you embarrass someone, it's considered the same as murdering them because you've changed something about how people perceive that person. Mm-hmm. It's a very serious business. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, there are probably the majority of things we're atoning for are things that comedians have to do all the time. But um, <laughs> the, the concept is yeah. that when you speak about another person, it's like you've gone into the middle of the street and opened up a feather pillowcase yeah. and put all the feathers in the winds and if you then suddenly feel oh I shouldn't have done that you're never going to be able to gather all those feathers back and I when I first learned that kind of parable mm-hmm. I don't know that we're allowed to call them parables and Ju- parables in Judaism but I know that's the con- uh, colloquial Pe- pedagogical term. story yes pedagogical that's a nice I don't know if I could spell that dyslexia uh, <laughs> but um I do think um I did think when I learned that story um about that particular thing of being told that about her daughter the teacher's daughter where she knew we knew her and the fact that now when it's years later it's still in my mind when i see her your faces i wish people would be able to read your see your face while they're listening (laughs) to this when i tell you that story does does she know or have you been able to keep her becoming a woman feathers inside the pillowcase (laughs) i've never said that to her but she must know because i can't imagine our class you know in 1980 whatever was the first group that her mum told like that you know um and subsequently yeah, I mean, primary school children are famously a bit of a security risk. So I, uh, <laughs> oh, God, poor, poor yeah, woman. Okay. That's a lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it is interesting because I didn't know how relatable those stories were until I started performing them and having yeah. people come up and say, do you know what, in my Catholic school, it was exactly like that yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of what I love about the privilege that I have to do this mm. is because to put out the message so literally that there's more that unites us than divides us yeah, is yeah. is a lovely, lovely thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so um, I want to talk about um, puns. So you, you say that you're not a pun person, but I, I don't believe you because I've seen you several <laughs> times, right? So, I mean, if, if, you, if you're not much of puns, like how would you describe your style? I mean... I think I'm a storyteller who likes wordplay. 
Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'd say, yeah, I, I do love wordplay. And I, and I actually do love puns, but I'm not adept at them in the way that some, let's say, Adele Cliff, yeah, um, yeah. you know, she, her, or, or Philip Simon, their way, their brains just immediately come up with it. Um, I enjoy doing sort of pun run stories. So that's quite fun to do. And I actually did one this uh, last week for a little commission thing for someone's event, uh, which mm-hmm. was about Doctor Who. So... Ah, okay. Yeah. I've, that was I've quite got some fun. ideas who that might be, but carry on. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's a really... I really love interesting words. I think because I have a processing disorder, mm-hmm. um, but I love the musicality of language. Yeah. So that's why puns are interesting to me. Now, um, Adele and Philip are my flatmates, usually during the Fringe um, oh, up right, in Edinburgh. Okay, yeah. And over the years, they've really tried to help me with my punning, particularly, um, you know, as they're both award-winning punsters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I think when I get one, I'm so happy about it. Like that um, political prawns one made me so happy. <laughs> um, so every so often, one appears and I think, oh, look at that. Look at that. I've done it. But in much in the way that I, you know, my a child brings home their painting to be put on the fridge, I then yeah. WhatsApp it to Adele and Philip <laughs> and they'll be like, okay and then they'll put a magnet on it and then just leave it there and go about their business yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and it's left there to gradually become crinkly around the edges yeah i I know exactly how you feel oh no that's lovely okay cool lovely um so if there's one thing that you could say to yourself at 18 what would it be oh i think one well maybe if i say to myself at 18 you'll be dating a guy who was a soldier and also (laughs) um a forest ranger and uh whatever it was he was before that in the um i can't remember what it was a firefighter yeah he was a firefighter yeah because he was a real person but i think it's that i there were so many comedians i really liked and i've had got to work with them later so i think partly i'd say you know one day you'll you'll be friends with two out of three of smack the pony that you just sat in the nice. audience and been part of the laughter track for their show because <laughs> i found that quite exciting and also um I used to love, and I still do love, the comedy store players. Mm-hmm. And um, for years, I sort of feared and was excited about the idea of ever working with them. And I did subsequently work with um, Josie Lawrence and um, have a few times with Richard Ranch. And now I feel quite excited about that. I know those people. Mm-hmm. So I've, I'm not too cool to pretend like I don't find that exciting. And all the rest of you comedians, you're all fantastic. But I think I would love to tell my 18-year-old self that people are interested in you. And, yeah. you know, you have favourite comedians. My husband told me to tell you, by the way, that my <laughs> answer should be um, that you have always had favourite comedians, but one day you'll be other people's favourite comedian, which I thought was very sweet because a couple of people have said that to me, which I find astonishing because there's a lot of options. Um, <laughs> but, I, I, yeah, I think just to say, because at 18 I was in love with comedy so much and comedy mm. performance, and it wasn't even on my periphery of my imagination that yeah, this was yeah. something I could genuinely do um, as a job and pay my bills and, you know, be working regularly. Um, I just didn't think anyone would want to hear from somebody like me. And I think not only would I tell my 18 year old self that, but I would tell all 18 year olds that you're interesting and, and people will find you interesting, whoever you are, you just mm-hmm. find mm-hmm. your, you just have to find your context and, um, you know, go on your journey, but I don't have regrets in a way of not knowing that then, because I think I needed to do all the things that have gone before to be able to do yeah, this now. Yeah, yeah. That, that is, was uh, very waffly. 
Feel free uh, it's, to edit. It's, uh, I'll, uh, it's, it's wonderful mum advice to end on. So I think that'll be, <laughs> that'll be fine or something. Uh, cool. So um, thank you so much for that, Rachel. Um, if people want to uh, catch up with uh, you and the things that you're doing, um, where, should they, where should they seek you out? Uh, they can seek me out at, um, at Rach Krieger on Instagram and Twitter. Um, my Facebook handle is very long, Rachel Krieger, comedian, writer, director, because I was stupid when I uh, did it. And uh, my website, www. which everyone says, don't do that bit now, just say the name of the website, rachelkrieger.com. Uh, I've got two podcasts, Jew Talking to Me and uh, Leaving Erin's Red, Jew Talking to Me, where we interview Jews from across the entertainment industry about how their Jewishness impacts on their entertaining and it really it's not educational or anything it's like what's your favorite foods what's the best family feud in your family that kind of level of yeah, yeah. education and leaving Erinsborough which is a neighbor's super fan podcast and I have a new show called ultimate Jewish mother please come and see it wherever it's on lovely stuff amazing thanks so much that Rachel um lovely speaking to you and uh, we'll see you again soon pleasure bye bye was the quantum leopard podcast uh, if you want to catch a live show in london look us up at uh, linktree uh, forward slash quantum leopard to sign up to the mailing list uh, we will never take advertising because advertising is cultural poison but from each according to their ability to each according to their need so if you enjoyed our guests in your ears but would like them in your eyes as well uh, we have uh, videos of whole shows up on patreon.com forward slash quantum leopard we only charge when a new live show video comes out if you enjoyed the show why not give us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice and or share this episode on the socials editing was by uh, Reese Lawton who is uh, conventionally attractive and fun at parties uh, music was composed and produced by Rooks Production Services at, at I Am Rooks on the socials that's Rooks with an E uh, the Quantum Leopard podcast is distributed and licensed under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives 4.0 international license which means you can share it as much as you like but don't uh, change it or sell it in any way because I will find out where you live uh, kind love and see you soon bye and I don't always win I mean yeah I do, I do often win.